Hey everyone, welcome to Indie Film Grit, a podcast about indie films and indie filmmakers. I am your host, Timothy Patrick, but you, you can call me Tim. In this episode, I'm joined by Patrick Green. It's his third appearance on the podcast, and he's here to talk about his new short film, Mommy's Little Monster. It's a psychological horror thriller about a mom and her son on the run from an abusive relationship. We talk about how he made the film, his strategy for film festivals, and a couple new projects he's working on. Let's get into it. And here we are with Patrick Green. Patrick, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, how you doing, man? Good, Tim. Uh, feeling good on my third time uh, on the podcast. Really excited to be here. Third time. You still hold the record. Uh, <laughs> Alex Ferrari came back a second time. Okay. But, so you were tied. But now you, you hit the third time in this episode. So still reigning champ. Okay. I like that. And, you know, I wasn't sure I was going to tell you this, but my highest uh, downloaded uh, podcast is Guerrilla Filmmaking with Patrick Green. Oh, wow. You yeah. should have told me that because I'm on 10%. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, there's not much there, but uh, yeah, we can work out a deal. Um, but yeah, man, it's good to have you back. I All always right. say uh, you're, you're a busy little filmmaker. You, you're always making films, um, short films. Um, last time you were here, we were talking about for your consideration, the, uh, the doc about Harvey Weinstein and me too movement, that whole thing, um, which was pretty good, man. I mean, did that, uh, kind of up your visibility? Yeah, we did a lot of festivals, um, you know, around the world. We played at the Melbourne documentary film festival, it premiered at Amdocs in Palm Springs, um, and you know, we got to go to a, a, some festivals and ourselves and, and watch it with the crowd, which is always a thrill, uh, played at the San Francisco Indie Doc Fest. And, um, it was just a, such a great experience in terms of watching it with an audience and, you know, afterwards having, you know, women survivors of, of, um, of some type of sexual abuse or domestic violence, just come up with a, a you know, women I didn't know. Um, and, and just say a nice word about, you know, thank me for making that. Um, and, and, and doing it in a way that's entertaining yet also there's a message behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Weinstein story is, is back in the news again, um, you know, with his trial starting. So, you know, it's a story that keeps evolving um, and it was a pleasure to work with, um, you know, film Plastic Jesus and Ginger and talk to Don Dunning, who was one of the, uh, the first women to come out in the New York Times article. Um, so it was a great experience. It's always kind of great when you, um, when you make something that's not only entertaining, but also has some social value behind it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're really excited. It's going to be on Amazon Prime probably uh, in the next month. Nice. Hopefully in February, so people can stream it and um, and check it out if they didn't get to see it on the festival circuit. Nice. And uh, you're doing that via Film Hub, right? You like the uh, Film yeah. Hub, yeah? Yes. Yeah, I, I enjoyed my uh, my first short tag, which was a part of the Guerrilla Film 
um, making podcast that I did with you, um, that's on there. So, you know, it's, it's great to have, um, it up there through film hub, um, where you can just tell someone, Hey, check it out on Amazon prime rather than sending them a Vimeo link. Mm -hmm. So as you know, you can show your aunts and cousins who have no idea, you know? Um, so it's, it's a great uh, way to get your movie out there. So that was a great thing. You know, listening to your podcast, you always hear about, um, different types of the indie filmmaking business. So it's always a pleasure when you, um, come across something and, and actually get to use it. Yeah. I use it myself. Actually, I'm in the process of, uh, getting my documentary short film on there. Um, and, you know, the last film I put up through Film Hub was uh, two years ago, and they've added so many different channels. I've already been selected to, I think, three more uh, platforms than uh, my last film. So it, it's picking up speed, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got selected to a bunch. Of, some, some, sometimes it takes a little long to get actually up on the uh, site. Mm -hmm. Um that would probably be my only thing. Um, but I have a few filmmakers that I've met on the film festival circuit that got really uh, ran into some trouble with, um, the other, uh, service di distributor. Yeah. What, what? Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, glad that didn't happen. Um, film hub seems a little more democratic in terms of, you know, not asking for money up front. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for the stuff I'm making, Right now, it's it's to me, it's more important to get eyeballs on the project, you know, right. um, than actually like making money, um, you know. And, and and if you put something up there and you're planning to get rich, you know, you should make other plans. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a great way to get eyeballs on it, and you know that could lead to your next project, which is kind of my always thing is I'm always making things with the hopes of someone seeing it and giving me an opportunity to do something else. Um, and you know, the other stuff will come. Yeah. And you know, in previous earlier times, I, I attempted to, uh, submit films directly to Amazon. I tried a few other ones that were shady. Um, it's just a pain in the butt. They really streamlined it and Klaus Bedelt, who, who basically invented it, He's not a greedy man, you know, so they give you 80%, I think. And, you know, a lot of what I'm doing, I'm not making any money, really. These are short films, but it's nice to have them up there. Yeah. And um, so Mommy's Little Monster, you said, are, are you winding down on the film festivals? No, we actually premiered in um, the end of summer um, at Horrible Imaginings, uh, the film festival in Orange County, um, great festival. If you haven't checked it out, um, such a great filmmaking filmmakers friendly festival. Um, I've, I've done, you know, quite a bit, bit of festivals over the past two, three years. And this was one of my favorites, um, where you'd have other filmmakers actually going to other screenings rather than just their own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and you know, our screening, I think we had like a morning Saturday morning screening at 11 and it was packed um, and wonderful Q and a, um, the head of it, Miguel Rodriguez, uh, really loves films and really understands the concepts of horror other than, you know, the, the, the typical kind of horror that people would see. He understands like this, um, the different kinds of, of the genre within the genre genre. Mm -hmm. Uh, so wonderful festival, met a bunch of people and, 
uh, premiered there, and it was great because, ironically, I grew up in Orange County, um, about ten minutes from there. Hmm. And you know, I've, I think I've talked about a little bit about Mommy's Little Monster the last time I was on. I think I was editing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the story is inspired by my childhood, um, and you know, it, it, there's some dark stuff in it, but it's also you know entertaining. Um, and it was just ironic to screen it, you know, where I grew up, basically. Um, I took an Uber from the hotel um, there, and uh, I had some of my wife and my friends uh, meeting me there, and I rode alone, and I started chatting it up with the Uber driver, who was um, Vietnamese. I'm half Vietnamese. My mom was Vietnamese, and the story is kind of based, inspired by my mom and I. Um, and he ended up knowing my mom through someone else. It was, and my mom had passed away, you know, for quite a number of years, and you know, it was just a crazy, it was, you know, those cosmic type things, Hmm. um, where, you know, he dropped me off and it was almost like she was in the car with me or, you know, watching over music and then, you know, to premiere your film, um, there and in front of an audience on, you know, on a big screen is just was one of the thrills of, of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's, it premiered there. Um, and now we're doing film festivals. Um, we'll probably be doing them, you know, to, the end of um, 220 October fall, I guess. Okay. Uh, we're playing at a couple of festivals in February, uh, the Grave Plot Film Festival in Seattle on February 1st, um, and then Tally Shorts February 8th in Tallahassee. Hmm. Um, and I'm sure there'll be more screenings coming up. Um, if you want to check on the latest screenings, uh, you can go to my website, bypatrickgreen.com. Yeah, you know, I, I see you post... A lot of uh, I submitted through Film Freeway to this festival, that festival, this festival. Um, you are very active when it comes to uh, getting your film to film festivals. Uh, and you've had a short film out for the last two, three years, whatever. So it makes sense. Um, but if you don't mind, could you kind of uh, share any strategy you have? I mean, it does seem like you're doing a lot, but how do you pick those and what, what you know? What, what's the thought process be, behind uh, your your festival submissions? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think that everyone obviously wants to get into Sundance and Tribeca and all all those other big, you know, A list festivals. But you know, at the same time, you also should be smart and realistic about your approach. Um, if you do have, you know, for Mommy's Little Monster, I have a psychological horror. Um, with some drama elements. So, you know, it's shot beautifully. There's great acting. It's a great story. But, you know, I'm going to be kind of, I'm going to try to figure out where it fits best. So I'm going to do my research um, in terms of looking at a festival. The first thing I do is I I check out its website. I um, check out the social media to see um, if they're active. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so many festivals, as you know now, that it's hard to really go through. Um, all of them, but film, I mean, uh, film freeway does a great job of kind of, um, segregating the different categories. And, um, it's just like, you know, you do your kind of research before you just throw down your credit card. Right. Uh, I, you know, the other thing I do is I check what films have played there in the past to see if my film kind of lines up. Um, obviously I'm not going to submit mommy's little monster to, you know, a festival that kind of does 
kind of more comedies or you know mm-hmm. stuff like that um you know it's it's definitely um it's definitely kind of the more work you put in the less money you can spend but you know definitely i think film festivals you know you get always get the argument now of just throw it up on vimeo or youtube um but for me it's like you spend so much time making these things it'd be nice if you um try to get it to some film festivals first and then you know meet people through it and um you know um maybe you get some awards and you know with mommies we've won some awards which has been great mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah there's definitely a strategy behind it but don't just blindly submit to stuff mm-hmm. um you know i don't know what the submissions for sundance are now but i went to a talk a few years ago with the head of the shorts program was speaking he said they get like 30,000 you know something crazy like that wow um so you know, the, the beauty today is that um, the technology is, is just there. Um, and, you know, people are making great looking stuff with great acting and great sound. But I think it all goes back to story again. So, you know, make sure your story is great. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of, a, I guess, now that everything's kind of at, 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 at a button where you can just press it, you know, and submit a film or, you know, make a film. I think now it's almost about you got to kind of nurture the idea and then nurture the movie so that you know exactly where you want to go with it in, mm-hmm. in, both, in both making it and um, submitting it, I guess. They're kind of – they're aligned, you know, they're in terms of just take a little more extra time before you submit, I guess, is the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Now, do you um – have a number in mind, like for Mommy's Little Monster, we're gonna we're gonna submit to twenty festivals or something like that. Or do you have like a budget in mind? Because I can imagine uh, some first time indie filmmakers out there, uh, what they spend on Film Freeway is almost gonna reach what they spend on the film. You know what I mean? I'm just curious. sure you can. I mean, yeah. there's so many festivals, right? Yeah. Um, I think definitely setting up a budget is great. And then if you, you know, if you get into a nice one, make sure you premiere it at a, at a good festival too. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, it's you know the better festivals you get into, the more you'll get some emails from production companies or managers or whatever, you know, asking you to hey, can we send? Can you can we see a link to your film because we saw it on here and mm-hmm. so. Um, for me, like instead of maybe spending, you know, 60 bucks or whatever on, on Sundance, um, maybe I'm going to submit to three festivals for 20 or two, you know, one for 40 and one for 20 that I think I have a better idea I can get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely set a budget up. And then if you get into if you get into one, like let's say you premiere at a good one, like Horrible Imaginings has a great name in the horror um in horror circles um then you know maybe you okay well i made an extra couple hundred this month i'll put that away and you know submit more and tell people that i got into horrible imaginings Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know now you have some um backing behind you right someone's someone's premiered a good festival has premiered your uh film so now you, you you have some juice behind you um but yeah to go i think that's a lot of a lot of mistakes that um, indie filmmakers make is they make it and then they think that they just put it out there and everyone's going to watch it, you know, mm-hmm. where it does take a lot of marketing. Um, the other thing I would do is come up with a good looking poster. Right. I spend a lot of times with my posters 
um, you know, check out artists on Instagram, see what you like, reach out to them, say, you know, Hey, I made this film, check it out. If you're into it, maybe we can work on, on something together. Um, but yeah, I think a, a great poster is, um, is a, is a key because then you can reach out. Um, you know, what I do is like, I think we were talking about is if I submit, um, to a festival on Twitter, I'll, I'll do a quick shout out with the film poster. Hey, I just submitted to so-and-so festival and attach the poster. So now that it's maybe they look at it and it's at least in their mind as they watch the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard of like other filmmakers actually like emailing, like they'll track down like the film um, festivals, like um, people that, you know, in the committee and like email them directly. Um, I don't know if some people can do that. I, I, I choose not to usually. Um, but if I do have like a couple of nice reviews from, some good sites. Um, I'll, you know, include those maybe in a follow-up, just general email to the festival. Say, hey, you know, um, here's a review of my uh, film. You know, check it out. You know, hope you enjoy my film. Something nice, something short. You don't want to bug people, mm-hmm. but um, you know, you want to keep them. Keep. They're going through so many movies, so you kind of want yours to stand out. Um, and if and if it does, maybe they watch it a second time or it just kind of stays in their mind and, and then they go, they watch it and they go, oh, I remember this. You know, I remember the poster to this. Yeah, uh, that's smart. Yeah. Now, what about uh, a time period? And then we'll move on to other things. But um, like you, Mommy's Little Monster, do you say to yourself, OK, for the next six months, we're going to submit to festivals or is it a little more flexible than that? Yeah, I mean, I think you could do longer than six months. I mean, for Mommies, we premiered um, in late, like basically the end of summer. Like it was um, like August, I think it was, late August. And so we'll probably go around because I missed some horror festivals, um, you know, in the fall. A lot of them are in like October. So I'll probably go until then. Um, But again, you know, based on budget and whatnot. But I had already submitted to some horror ones in two, um, 2020 that I missed in 2019. Hmm. Um, but I mean, you'll generally see, I mean, it's interesting for the, the, for your consideration doc, you know, it, I think we premiered it in spring of 2019, um, at Amdocs and then it went through kind of summer, but by then it, you know, the Weinstein story had been out there so much. It was just like, I think programmers were probably like, you know, we've seen we've seen what we don't want to know any more Weinstein stories, you know, mm. even though ours isn't really a Weinstein story, it's more of a street art commentary, social you know, issue type thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that one, I think, didn't have as long legs. But now the Weinstein trials back. So we could submit, but I would just rather put it up. We've kind of done our run. Um, I think, you know, the move. I think you'll figure it out in terms of if you'll know when your movie to just you know, the, the festival rent, uh, festival run has ended. I think you'll, you'll know yourself. Um, and every movie is different. Yeah. And mommy's little monster is pretty different. Um, you mentioned that was somewhat based on your mom or, or inspired by your mom. Um, obviously without giving giving anything away, uh, what, what is the, the concept of this film? Would you say? So you got a chance to watch it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah, I, I think the concept. I think it's it's all started with. Um, 
I can talk a little bit about it, okay. uh, you know, terms without giving away stuff. Um, it started with, you know, to be honest with you, it started with like um, my dad would, you know, was a good guy but a bad drunk, and so he would come home at night um, certain times and, uh, you know, start start arguing with my mom, and so I was in. You know, I think when you're a product of domestic violence, um, you're always kind of hearing things and, and it's, you don't really see stuff, but you kind of hear it through walls. And I've kind of used that in the sound design um, where it's it almost becomes, are you, am I dreaming or am I hearing this? You know, because you're in you're in the state of like half asleep anyways and you're a little kid. So you kind of don't know what what's going on. And, um, you know, my mom would run into my room and wake me up and, and we'd go on drives um, until my dad would pass out and then we'd come home, you know, we'd go on drives or we'd go to, you know, her friend's house or her, you know, cause or her sister's house or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, um, I kind of took that idea of, um, you know, it opens up with a, mo a mom and son driving to the mountains in in their pajamas. Um, and so, you know, I took that idea and just kind of, you know, how, how can we make this into a genre movie? How can we put this through a lens that that people can can watch and not be kind of heavy handed, hit over the head with domestic violence is bad and it affects kids, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, through the movie, I think, um, you know, I think we as as sons, uh, you know, we we love our dad, but at the same time, you know, um, it's hard to process that our dad's doing this. So we almost manifest it in a way, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and so that's kind of what the film's about, about this little boy, um, kind of coming to terms with his dad being a, a monster. Um, you know, is the monster real or is it his dad, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was tough to kind of, um, do, but, you know, we got a wonderful two actors, uh, Jenny Pelliser and, um, Tate Birchmore and, um, I wanted to do something contained. Um, and so we, you know, we got a cabin, 1890s mining cabin. And that cabin is great. That yeah. Is, it's kind of creepy in itself, yeah, you know, it's gorgeous. Uh, yeah. And so we shot it and it was just a really cathartic experience. Um, and you know, when we premiered it, uh, just going back to that a little bit, you know, I had to t kind of talk about the story I just did, you know, in front of 200 people or whatnot. And, mm -hmm. um, it, it wasn't, it was difficult, but at the same time I felt, you know, when, when you go through therapy or whatnot, it's like you talk about something and it makes it a little less painful. Um, and, and when you're watching it on, on screen, I think it's the same way. I still get kind of, um, mm, I guess like a nervous kind of chills almost, you know, because of just certain things that are triggered in my mind about things that are from it that are actually from my past. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it, it's been a great, um, experience. Hopefully, you know, it can turn into a feature. Um, and cause I think there's a lot of story there. I think this is a, a big issue. And I think that if you take on social issues in a way that's entertaining, you know, you see them through a genre lens, um, and, and you don't beat people over the head with it. I think it's a great story that, um, that, that could affect a lot of people. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, now you mentioned the location, um, and, and the actors. Um, I, I always, uh, give people props when they, when they keep their, their amount of 
actors to a minimum. And uh, you've done the perfect thing, two actors. Um, that just cuts down on, on the difficulty uh, of making the film. Is that, is that the reason why, or it just fit perfectly? Yeah, it fit perfectly. Um, you know, Jenny is a real pro. And uh, Tate, you know, was, you know, casting kids. You know, they say never work with kids in your first thing. And although, you know, I had done a couple documentaries, this was my first. Well, tag is a narrative, but um, there's not like real acting, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to keep it kind of simple. The story kind of fit that. Um, again, I think it's all going back to you know, what are my strengths? What are my, what am I capable of doing that I know I can do well rather than trying to do something that packs a lot in a little and and then you overwhelms you. Mm -hmm. Um, casting the, you know, a kid was, 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 you know, difficult in LA. There's so many child actors, but, but you know, a lot of them have been going to auditions since they were, you know, since they could walk. So they're real pros, but at the same time, with material like this, um, you really have to kind of dig a little and, and see if they can, without telling them that this is, you know, what this dark subject's about, that, you know, you can kind of, um, I always told him to act, not uh, to react, not act. Um, and so, you know, we, I think we went through like 40 something kids and, um, you know, we found Tate and a lot of, we found a lot of good child actors, but they've, they're so almost rehearsed, you know, they've been doing this audition thing for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tate comes from a raised by a wonderful single mom. Um, and we actually saw his brother first, who was a little younger, a little more rambunctious. Um, but Tate was great. He's, um, you know, he's been doing it for a while, but I think he, he can pull from different places cause he's lived a fuller life even at such a young age. Mm-hmm. So we would do like, you know, these dark scenes and then he would show me like an Indian rock he had found that, you know, he created this story about how he found this Indian rock. And so he was still a kid. We would go throw, um, you know, rocks or throw, um, play games basically after shooting, you know, in between, um, takes. Um, so, you know, he was still a kid at heart, which I really loved. And, um, I thought both of them kind of played really well off each other. And, you know, it's a, it's a deep story, but it's, it's got some soul on it and, um, you know, it means something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great acting. Um, and, uh, the mother is just beautiful. She has a beautiful face. Yeah, she's great. Her eyes are really piercing. Um, and so we definitely, you know, it opens up with her eye. Um, and you know, it was, it was a great experience. It's also shot by, um, uh, Nico Aguilar, who's this wonderful DP, um, our producer, Vanessa Perez, really created a great team. Um, it's edited by Jeff Cummings. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very professional looking short, um, that fits in the, this kind of new, um, genre of, of horror that has, you know, something to say with mm-hmm. it, but also is, you know, fits into the classic template of a horror movie. Now, how long uh, did you shoot for? I believe it was uh, two days and and one night. Awesome. Yeah. Two days and one night. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, to get, you know, it's about 11 minutes and we cut stuff out of it. Um, But, yeah, I think that's a good time, you know, uh, good time for a short you know around that definitely 
Definitely. We packed a lot of story in it. So, you know, there's some twists and turns. And yeah, I think for 11 minutes, it packs a lot of story. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you're on set shooting, how many actual people are there? For that one, we had like um, like 10 to 12, yeah, about 12 people, I would say. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so it was a nice that we, you know, we even had the, uh, the student teacher because, you know, we have a kid on set. Mm -hmm. um, so he was, you know, we, so yeah, it was a, it was a great set. It was, um, the cabin's actually on a ground. So there was a house on it. So we just stayed in the house. Um, most of the crew, um, the DP slept in the, in the cabin, um, a little too creepy for me. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah. So it was great. It was a great experience. Yeah. And now did you get a deal on the location or was that the biggest chunk of your budget you think? I think we got a deal. I, don't, I didn't see all the numbers, um, but, um, you know, Vanessa took care of that. But, yeah, but it, it was definitely a deal with the cabin and, you know, staying on the at the other house because mm -hmm. uh, we took over. You know, and it's not uh, – it was in Big Bear, so it's not the Big Bear everyone thinks of. It was on the other side. So it really looks like it's a, you know, a cabin kind of in its own uh, space. Yeah. Um, and the trees are all there, you know, it was kind of built in. It was almost exactly what I envisioned when I wrote the script. Yeah, it's nice that you're all isolated so you can all focus on the film. It's kind of got, I mean, even with the uh, some of the shots in the cabin, it's got a Evil Dead vibe a little. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that cabin had no plumbing. Um, okay. It had like a an, in, an outhouse, like an in-house, I don't know what they call that, like an outhouse that's inside. Hmm. Huh. Um, and so, yeah, the, there's probably one of my favorite scenes is the bathtub scene and, um, you know, um, the actress Jenny's in the bathtub and we, we filled it with milk cause it kind of is this, the scene where it's, um, kind of supposed to be surreal a bit and kind of, uh, the analogy is of rebirth of motherhood in a way. Mm. So we filled it up with milk, but you know, we had to keep the milk in a fridge and so we're dumping cold milk into this uh, tub that really isn't stopped. You know, there's no um, there's no stopping it. it. So it was slowly like um, you know funneling out. So we kept having to put new milk draining out, and so we kept <laughs> putting more milk in it. And you know, poor Jenny was in there with freezing cold milk, and the DP Nico's like standing over her. And of course, it's an outhouse, so there's flies buzzing. And oh boy, it's just, yeah, it was insane, but it came out really nice. Yeah, yeah, it's actually uh, a real peaceful scene in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to kind of, you know, with whatever else is, you know, what else is going on, it's it's a nice back and forth, you know. Now, um, why is there a bathtub if there's no plumbing? Well, I think there there is there is plumbing. Maybe there's no – the draining, drainage system is, like, really bad in those cabins, I guess. Mm. Um, but there's no toilet. It was a compost toilet, I think they call it. Ah, fun. yeah, good times. Yeah. Now, so I think how it was do more drainage thing than a to get into plumbing, <laughs> right? Indie film plumbing. Well, now uh, now that we've talked about using the bathroom, I'm I'm thinking about <laughs> how do you feed these people? Uh, was that in the house? Did you what? what how do you go about yeah, I mean, doing we're that? Not that. I mean, we're in Big Bear, so there's right. obviously places and. Um, yeah, we had food. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was, it was a, you know, typical standard set. Um, so yeah, it, w it went well. 
Cool. Uh, the other thing I noticed when watching the film is the score. Um, I really dug the music, even though it's like your stuff always. It's never overpowerful, you know, overpowering, but it's there. Um, mm -hmm. Is this some musician you've worked with before or? No, actually, um, his name was Diego Gata. He's um, a young composer, musician. Um, I believe he's out of Cal Arts. He just graduated. Um, and no, he, he, he came up with, we, we wanted the sound design. Um, our sound designer, Logan Byers, who was great, actually did that piano thing at the end. And he's a musician as well. Mm. Um, so we wanted the music to kind of be almost part of the house as well. So you hear, you'll hear like the pipes in the house, um, in the cabin, uh, kind of make a noise and the sound design is kind of, you don't know if it's, you know, real or not, which is, fits perfectly in with the story. Um, but it's not, it's kind of the, in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, it's never overpowering, like you said. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a mixture of natural sounds with music. Um, I think that that was important for this is where you're kind of playing the whole movie is about kind of playing what's real and what's not. Right. So I, I really wanted to do that in every aspect um, and from the, uh, you know, shot selection, you know, with the lenses, the different colors and then to the music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I have to point out, I think I did see uh, one shot uh, that reminded me of tag when you just see breath. Oh, the uh, it was almost like a point of view shot, like you did your whole movie. Tag. Up. Yeah, where the, the monster rises up. Yeah, I mean, I assume that was breath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was actually a hairspray bottle, I believe. Um, oh. <laughs> movie magic. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great shot. I, I like that. So, was it cold or was it summertime? It was, it was like in um late spring but it was still snowing i think that year it was like snowing late so you can see little bit patches of snow um in different shots um but yeah it was cold it was freezing cold and you know jenny at the end is, is running around you know um with a, a towel on basically through the cold it was crazy barefoot and but she's you know she's a trooper yeah damn crazy man well that's so great you're getting it up there on Amazon. Uh, you got to let me know, and I'll, obviously I'll, I'll retweet it and uh, share it with people. Um, but if that wasn't enough, you're, you're also working on a, another short doc or, or two other short docs. Um, at, what, at what stage are you in with the uh, Edwin Valero doc? Well, the Valero doc was something uh, we did, and um, it was kind of just – it's a short doc. It's already done. Um, you can find it on Boxing Empire, hmm. uh, which is a boxing uh, multimedia site. Um, and it's, it's about a five minute piece. We wanted to do it basically for Instagram, uh, TV for them. Um, and so it's, you know, I interviewed the author of a book on Edwin Valaro, who, if you don't know, was this kind of, um, infamous boxer in the nineties. He was supposed to be kind of, the big challenger to Manny Pacquiao. Uh, he's from Venezuela and he had all this hype about him. I think he had 27 fights with 27 knockouts. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just a fascinating story. I didn't really know much about it until 
I came across it on Twitter um, and the author, Don Stradley, I saw him posting some stuff. So I kind of looked it up and I was like, wow, this is such a great story. Kind of the rise and fall of this this um, character um, who a lot of people don't know about, but who is kind of within boxing circles, kind of like the big what if because mm. he's so talented. Um, and, you know, he ends up having he, he was just almost like an animal in, in the ring. And, and I think his his style and all the the kind of overcame um, kind of the darkness overcame him and he ended up having a, a bad ending to his life. Mm. Um, but yeah, I interviewed that. I was kind of inspired. I really loved the documentary. Um, the director that did the Maradona doc, and he did the Amy Winehouse doc and the Senna doc. Mm. Um, I really liked that style of um, using footage from that era of the person you're doing it on. And then kind of instead of talking heads, kind of layering voices from now to talk about then, but showing the person as they were in that time. You know, I think um, with a lot of docs, it's almost like you give people a chance to kind of reflect. And sometimes when you reflect on someone or if the documentary is about the person themselves, you have a kind of different view of things, you know, 10, 20 years later. Mm -hmm. So it's, I find it great to actually show the person in that era and then maybe have other people from their past talk about them um, yeah. in terms of – yeah, so I think it's a nice style and it fit that really well. Um, you played with that a little bit in uh, for your consideration with the media clips. Um, but this one, uh, you took it to a whole new level where it's almost all uh, original um, media coverage. Did you – how did you go about getting those clips for this one? Because it seems more I mean, obscure. It was, just, it was just scouring YouTube. Oh, really? You know, wow. you, yeah, scouring YouTube and, um, you know, and finding stuff that um, was newsworthy in terms of like um, like boxing fights that were on CBS or whatever and you attributing it to those sources. Like, you know, fair use stuff. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, so, yeah, to put something like that together is – is difficult in a way. Um, you're not sh- necessarily shooting anything new other than, you know, you're getting audio from the interviews. Um, but all the footage is basically, you know, B roll or footage from their past mm-hmm. with a public yeah. figure. It's somewhat easy because there's so much stuff out there now, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely more authentic than a cheesy reenactment or something, you know? Yeah, I hate reenactments. <laughs> <laughs> Talking heads are cool, but you know, if the person, if you kind of, I see a lot of docs now. That's just kind of the same stuff. You know, the the drone shot, the mm-hmm. the guy in the room talking. You know, behind some something, and um, I, I like the style better. Um, it kind of has a different pace to it too. If you don't have a talking head, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm noticing a theme here, and that's that uh, you are a fan of boxing. Yeah, I was working for a boxing site, so I was the editor-in-chief there. So um, a publishing house, uh, they saw my Edwin Valaro doc, um, and they're called Hamilcar Publications, and they approached me about doing a doc, another short doc on Bundini Brown, 
who was the trainer, right-hand man to uh, Muhammad Ali. And uh, I think most people might know him. He's portrayed by Jamie Foxx in the Ali movie with Will Smith. Um, but I've been diving into that and uh, such a great story. I've been working with the author of the book who basically is going to narrate the documentary. Um, his name is Todd Snyder. And he did this wonderful research about this guy who a lot of people don't know about, but who um, has such an interesting life. He joined the Navy when he was 13, you know, son of sharecroppers and um, just traveled the world. It's almost like the Ali part of his life is, is almost just, you know, a third of his story. Mm -hmm. Um, he, you know, was in the jazz scene in Harlem, palled around with Billie Holiday and he was in Shaft. He was in the color purple. He also trained Sugar Ray Robinson, um, and Muhammad Ali. So, which is, which are arguably, arguably the two top two boxers of all time. Um, he's the through line. Wow. Yeah, so just a uh, really spiritual guy. He's the guy that came up with float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Oh. So, yeah, so just really excited about this project. Um, and this and, is a direct result of your earlier doc. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing um, that I was saying, I was telling you kind of about with Film Hub or whatever is, you know, you, you make these things and if you put kind of everything in them um, – you know, the, the Mamba mentality to uh, throw a shout out to Kobe, um, you know, you put everything in them. It's not necessarily about um, it's it's not necessarily about the results. It's about be, getting better as a filmmaker. Right. And I think and I think when you do that, things happen well. Um, you know, everything you do should have that extra little TLC to it, mm -hmm. um, you know. And so by making these things, my craft is not only getting better, but, you know, I, I got this gig. Um, which could lead into something else, you know, and you don't look at it that way. You look at it as each project getting better, working on my craft, trying new things. Um, and, you know, hopefully that leads you to bigger and better things. Right. No, that's exactly my mentality. Um, you know, make it better than the last one. Um, even, even if it's, uh, you know, some obscure editing trick you, you picked up along the way that people aren't going to necessarily recognize, you know, you did it better and you learned some things and the next one's going to be even better. Um, yeah. Everything yeah. is practice. That, that, that's the way I feel. Mm -hmm. I agree. Totally agree. And, you know, you're working your way through story. So, you know, um, gradually you're building up. So, you know, hopefully I can do a feature. That's, that's the goal within, you know, the next year or so. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I think, you know, building stuff up and meeting more people that you like to work with is another important thing. Um, so yeah, I think it's all coming together and, um, whether it be uh, narrative or documentary, I feel that I can do both equally well. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I Hmm. I wonder if your feature is going to be about a street artist who boxes <laughs> and sees monsters. Let's bring it all together. Right? <laughs> I mean, four it's not a stretch. Four quadrants. Yeah, that, that I'd watch it. <laughs> but when it comes to the feature that you're, you know, I feel I feel like most indie filmmakers, if if they're worth their salt, are kind of building up to that. Um, moment um 
Do you have an idea or are you hoping that one of your shorts, like you say, will become the feature? I mean, I have tons of ideas. It's about, you know, it's about pulling the trigger. Mm-hmm. You know, I think as you get older and you get more experience, yeah, it'd be nice to do a feature, but also which is the right feature. Right. You know, you, it's almost like you got one shot, you know, you have to shoot it, but at the same time, um, you really do need a feature to have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make all these wonderful shorts and you're building experience on the way and, you know, working with collaborators and building this team. But I really think you need a feature, you know, to have a seat at the table. And, you know, to do that, I've kind of done it the old fashioned way where I've done shorts and worked my way up there. But, um, you know, it's about kind of pulling the trigger on the idea. For me, I find that um, I have a bunch of cool ideas and stuff, but it's about how do I find my way into it? Uh, How do I find my story within it that will set it a little bit differently, make it a little special, you know, Mm -hmm. that special sauce, I guess. For Mommy's Little Monster, you know, I wanted to do a contained piece for so many years. um, And so that fit in perfectly. Uh, But, yeah, I think right now it's more about, like, what can I kill? You know, what can I really knock out of the ballpark? And um, I I only will write a script that I know I can execute. So I'm not going to write a spec script with spaceships and, you know, a bunch of stuff. So I'll only write something that I think – the checklist would be something I can execute, something that means something to me and, um, you know, something that's fun, something that's, that's not too heavy handed, but, but entertaining, but with, with, but with a nice social message behind it, if I can. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're setting yourself up for an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> you got the social message, you got the entertainment. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I don't think, uh, you know, anyone goes into things making awards, looking for awards. But no. I think if you, if if you, yeah, if you go into something and you have fun doing it, which I think is important, I think a lot of people lose that. Um, is that you know, on any level, is is it fun? Is are you having fun doing it? It should always be fun, no matter how serious the project. Um, and you know, your people are putting in so much time. You know. With mommies, like we were at the end, we were like basically scrambling to finish it up before this the premiere, and you know I I was re- looking for um, a colorist, and I found someone on a Facebook group, you know, indie filmmakers uh, of LA, Los Angeles filmmakers. I'm sorry, so I found this great guy on there, and we you know he was sneaking me into after hours at his at his place, so I we could color it together, and nice. just I mean just stories like that, which are so fun and. You know, where you're sneaking in after hours to, to you know, that's kind of this, the state of indie filmmaking, right? right. Um, but you're, you're kind of meeting these people who are just as passionate as you. And if they really find a way into the, your story, you know, they'll help you. Um, I think I said that last time where um, it's just the, the world, the indie filmmaking world is so great um, in, in terms of there's so many possibilities um, where you can just reach out to people and share your work. And if that leads to something great, you know, but, um, it's just about kind of putting yourself out there and making something you're proud of. And, um, yeah, I think people want to be involved with people who are excited about what they have to say. Um, and, and then letting the people do their thing. Um, I have this other project, I'm kind of at the ground stages of putting together, um, 
we have this wonderful interview with Mike Tyson and um, we're just trying to get some animators to, um, you know, do work some, basically do an animation with his voiceover. Um, we're going to do one round. Or so we're going to split it up into 12 rounds mm-hmm. uh, of him talking about life, death, his ego, the old Mike Tyson, the new Mike Tyson. And, um, you know, the plan is to do one round with an animator, but I've been looking, you know, animation's a whole different animal. I have a little of it in um, For Your Consideration. Yeah, yeah, the Kevin Smith guy. Yeah, which was fun, Um, Steve Stark. Um, So for this, you know, I think the other part about um, working with people is you got to let them do their thing. You know, once you hire them and you kind of give them the parameters of what you're looking for, you know, and, you know, animators are just wizards of what they do but you know you gotta let them do their thing so that's the other thing is once we hire people you've kind of got to let them if you chose them let them you know give them room to excel and do their thing mm-hmm. um, for me I, I find being a um, control freak isn't isn't good for, for me you know so i let i let people have their space in terms of their creative because that's the space i like to be in you know right I like so it's kind of a two-way street but yeah, it's been great. Um, it's just now a matter of working towards the future where, you know, I, hopefully all these things are building into something. Mm-hmm. Well, that Mike Tyson thing's interesting. One, for the animation. I think that's a really smart way to go. Um, but two, so is it going to be like a, like a, how are you, how are you going to release it as a series on YouTube I, or? The plan is to do one round with his audio and an anime and an animator and then sell that, you know, see if we can sell that to get funding for the other 11 rounds mm. to do one round and maybe the title cards, um, kind of what we envision, you know, on a very budget that we can afford. Um, and then, try to get funding for the other 11 rounds because there's enough audio for it. Mm-hmm. It's just I want to use 11 different animators. That's uh, interesting. I was going to ask you that. That's a great idea uh, for each round, a different animator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because for, at an indie level, you know, you can now, you know, an, an animator doing 12 rounds by themselves is going to take a year and a half, two years. Mm. And it's going to be super expensive. But if you can space that out, so it's almost like you're making 12 short films right. with 12 different animators. as you, and, and you're the kind of one overseeing everything in terms of like making sure everything is working in the same direction. Then, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great way to kind of you know, do the Mike Tyson story that hasn't been, been seen because it's, it's a story that's been well told. But um, this is kind of something different where we kind of get inside him, inside his head. And uh, animation is just perfect for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully we'll get that up and running in the next couple months and see where it goes. Nice. Yeah, I like that. That's a real – I like that every uh, round is going to be uh, visually fresh as well. If it was the same animation, you might be like, ah, I've seen the first one. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to kind of look at things and kind of see um, even, you know, it's, it's presenting this uh, same gift in a different box, right? You're kind of looking mm-hmm. at something and, and trying to do it a different way, um, which is kind of how I approach things. You know, tag was such an interesting thing for me, at least, to put out first. It was like, He's like, if you're going to do a short, you know, why not do something that's at least visually different? Because I know with my capabilities, you know, with not having a big expensive camera and access to a huge crew, here's something I can do that at least visually um, is something you probably haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, it's all about kind of presenting 
new kind of presenting things in a new way. Oh, that's great, man. I'm really, uh, really excited to watch you, uh, continue your, your filmmaking career. It's, uh, it's great, man. I, I feel like I have a kinship with you in a lot of ways, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, no, it's been, it's been great to see your journey and to see the podcast, um, grow and, you know, introduce new people, you know, meeting other filmmakers at, um, festivals, you know, I've, I passed along indie film grid, you know, tell, Hey, listen to film hub. And I think Owen, um, who did that, um, doc was on, I met him at a film festival and get passed along your information. Um, and, oh, yeah. you know, o- Owen Corb, I think. Yeah. Owen Corb. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a tribe of people and I think, you know, helping each other and, um, uh, when you can and, you know, sharing information, um, is is a great thing a great tool like these podcasts and of course uh listeners to the podcast have already heard you in two previous episodes but just in case we got some uh fresh ears uh you want to let everybody know where they can find you yeah you can find uh, me at by patrick green by patrick green g-r-e-e-n.com um i've got some trailers up there, kind of the latest news on screenings where you can see, um, my films. Um, there's also articles I've written as a journalist and whatnot. And on social media, it's at by Patrick green, B Y Patrick green, um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just reach out if you have a question or anything. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on. You got, uh, two more appearances. Then you get the jacket. <laughs> two more okay. two more right isn't it five timers club isn't that yeah, yeah yeah hey man I'm, I'll, I'll be looking forward to it we got um, two more <laughs> that'll give me time to get the up. jacket you know <laughs> <laughs> well thanks patrick it's always a pleasure to have you on here man uh, once again i i wish you the best of luck in your filmmaking journey and uh reach out when, when you get the next thing done and we'll get you back on I will. Thanks, Tim. I want to go for that fifth-time jacket. That's right. Well, that's that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Indie Film Grit podcast. Feel free to go to our website and check out the show notes, IndieFilmGrit.com. Follow us on Twitter, at IndieFilmGrit. And if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating on iTunes. Well, I should really wrap this up, but before I go, let me ask you something. Do you have the courage, the passion, and the perseverance to make indie films? Do you have enough indie film grit?